0: One of the things that that was the Lord was using in my in my heart was how many times I talk about the return of the, the Lord and you know and I tell people man Christ is coming back, man, get excited, like he's coming. But how often do I believe it though? How often do I actually say like I truly do believe that Christ will come back? I think sometimes as Christians we become so immune to saying that, right, he's coming back, but but then we kind of look at the world outside of our, our church walls and we're seeing things getting worse and things ultimately not getting better. And so we wonder, like, Lord, when are you coming back? Are you coming back? You know, and I start thinking to myself, in my mind, it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to see Jesus when I die. I'm going to see Jesus when I die. So my expectation of his return is more as of, well, when I pass away, I'll see him. Yeah, that's true. When I die, I will see Christ. I will see. My faith will become a reality. But why is it easier to believe that than it is to believe that Christ will come back one day and rescue his church and make all things new? This morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into the reality of the hope that we have in Christ, but the reality of the judgment christ there's hope in christ but there is the reality that christ when he does come back he will judge the world accordingly last sermon i told you this would be a part one part two sermon today we are finishing that sermon that i preached more than a couple weeks ago and if you don't remember let me just kind of Give you a little bit of a recap. Last sermon we discussed um, the confidence that we know the truth of Christ's return. For the power and the glory of Christ has been revealed by the witness of the apostles and the uh, prophecies. So we were told to be confident that Christ will return because we have eyewitnesses of the apostles and the prophetic word. We talked about the importance of having witnesses to talk about the return of Christ. We talk about the hope that we have, but today is the conclusion of that. Today is the conclusion. What does that mean? And what does that look like for us in our day today? My main point, if you are taking notes, is very simple, very clear. Jesus will return. Therefore, we are to stir each other to remember this reality in our world today. Again, Jesus will return. Therefore, we are to stir each other to remember this reality in our world today. And we're going to see three different ways that we're going to see that. One, we're going to see we're going to stir one another to remember because Christ retur- well, We what we would read, Christ returns to the prophets and the apostles' testimony, kind of very similar to the the, the first time we preached. Second one, stir one another to remember scoffers will come but hold fast to christ and lastly stir one another to remember there will be a day of judgment as shown to us in the past so we're going to look at three different points as we are studying god's word let me pray and we'll dive in father thank you for this morning thank you for your word father i ask that you would be with us pray that you would um, Lord, that it will be Your Word that will be preached. Lord, Spirit, may You work in our hearts as we hear You, um, Your words. Lord, Your Word is a double-edged sword, and so I pray that it would, it would do what's what needs to be done in our hearts. Lord, pray that we would have uh, moments where that we would clearly hear from You, Lord, whether we know You or we don't. Lord, I pray that you will meet with us in this place today. And I know you will. You're faithful. And so I ask that you will be uh, with me as I preach your word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Chapter 3. He says this, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them... I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the, by the way of reminder. Okay, so I want to just stop right there. He begins the letter with beloved. And I love my boy David Daniels. He uses that word a lot. Beloved, right? Shout out to David. He uses that word beloved. And often more than not, sometimes I don't think we consider the, the, the word in itself how it's described, right? It's beloved. This, this, this affection of love and tenderness and kindness, right? And so Peter addresses this letter in such a way that says, Beloved, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. And both of them I'm stirring up to. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder. Peter wants to stir the believers In this letter. And it's important to understand that up to this point. Peter in his letters has pretty much been very strong. In what he's been trying to communicate to the church. If you look at chapter 2. He really hits hard the theme of false teachers. And false uh, 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 those who would want to take the faith. And use it for their own desires. He hits hard on the reality. That there are false teachers and false people that will come and try to distort the truth of God's word, all the way up to this point, he wants to say, beloved, this is not you. Beloved, this is not you. Notice that he uses the word sincere heart, sincere, sincere mind. He's reminding the church that everything in chapter 2 does not describe them. Here, beloved is a reminder to the church of the covenant relationship they have with the Lord. In both letters, Peter is telling them what's the main reason he's writing this letter. In both of them, he says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the way of remembering. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Again, Peter wants to stir up the believers who are free from deceit. When he says sincere minds, Peter is saying your minds are not deceit, deceited. Your minds are sincere. You know the truth of the gospel. You are living in such a way that reveals the reality of your faith. You are not like what I said in chapter 2. He wants them to know, to steer their hearts. He wants them to remember specifically two things here the predictions of what the prophets said and the command of the apostles. Like in chapter one, when I preached two weeks through three weeks ago, we talked about the prophetic word. We talked about the importance of the witness of the prophetic word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12 says, says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. This was in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Peter states early on that the, the prophets didn't just gather this stuff and just, no, no, no. They inquired, they took time to read scripture to reveal the glories of Christ. The predictions of the prophets have always been pointed to Christ. Jesus tells that to us in the New Testament, all scripture is about me. And they have inquired carefully about the suffering of Christ. So what specifically might the prophets been looking at? See, the reality, scripture is filled with prophecies about Christ. The birth, the suffering, the resurrection, the return. So I, I took out a few of them just to kind of show us kind of the scripture, pr- prophetic scripture that we have. For example, Moses in Genesis 3.15 writes, Between you and the woman and between your offsprings and hers, they shall strike at your head and you shall strike at their heel. Genesis 3.15, Moses writes the first Instance of the, we're faced with the reality of the gospel in the beginning pages of Genesis. Genesis 3.15 is talking about Jesus being born. And yet he will also suffer. Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 13 says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Declaring that Christ's kingship is forever. The Messiah will not just rule for a, a short time, but he will rule forever. Numbers chapter 24, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. Once again, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed in the prophetic word of God. And so Peter says, listen, we have this prophetic word. Stir yourselves in your sincere minds that are not with deceit, To remember this, that what we have here is the inspired word of God. What we know about Jesus has been fulfilled in him. He is the Messiah, the king now and forever. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes and says, which has also been revealed to us by those who in chapter 3 he also says, by the, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the way reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Not only through the prophetic word is Christ revealed and we can remember and hold fast, but through the apostles. Now, we talked about this in the last sermon. I'm going to keep jumping back and forth because these two sermons connect. Last sermon, P- Peter said, hey, we saw the glory of God revealed. We are witnesses to the glory of God. Therefore, we can say with full confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. And so there anything that he has told us, we will proclaim to the church. Anything that he said to us, we are faithful ambassadors to preach the gospel to the world so that the world will know who is the Lord Jesus Christ and what it is that he commands. See, it is the apostles who gave us the commandment of Christ to repent and believe. Now, obviously, Jesus told them in Matthew 28, 19 go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the father and the son it was jesus ultimately who gives the message of the gospel and repentance and forgiveness and the hope of the resurrection but he also entrusted this to the apostles to go and preach the word therefore the nations have the gospel because of the faithful works of the apostles Therefore, if we have the the apostles' testimony and the prophetic word, we are to remember them as authoritative for doctrine and truth to be practiced. If we have the words of the apostles stating the reality, the commandments, and we have the prophecies, the revealed truth of God pointing us to the Christ, We are called to remember them, but not just to remember them, but to see them as authoritative in our life, to see them as what they are, commandments that Christ has given to his church. To know what is to have a sincere mind, to have a sincere mind is to be opposite of chapter two, falling into false teachings and false Teachers. And he tells us why this is important. Why it's important that we remember such things. Well, he says, knowing this, verse 3, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires, they would say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says, listen, it's important that you are reminded as a church the realities of what we have in Christ because those who mock our faith, those who he said in chapter 1, would say that the gospel is a myth, that the gospel is not real, those will come and they will mock our faith. They would say, where is your king? Look at the world, it's getting worse. You would think he would come. Peter says, hold fast, remember this, stir one another in this reality Scoffers have no interest in authority aside from the one that drives their own desires. They are not looking to Christ. They are looking to themselves, and therefore their own message is what is being put out. Scoffers will come, and Peter says two things one, they follow their sinful desire. And two, they will mock their, they will mock our faith. It will mock our faith. When we give into sin, when we follow the passions and the desires of our own flesh, it will give way not to the truth of who God is, but we ourselves will no longer be in sincere minds. We will be following A mind that has been polluted with false teachings and teachers. Peter's saying, this is not who you are, believer. This is not who you are. Hold fast to the gospel. And it's interesting that Peter says... they follow the passions of their flesh. Well, what is he talking about? What is he talking about when he says they follow, they follow the passions of the flesh? Well, in chapter 2, he talks about the realities of sensual uh, sins uh, that merely meet the sexual sin or any desires that... Fits their own lives and therefore has no authority in their life. Christ has no authority in their life. And what was their logic? What was their logic for such scoffing? Well, look at the continual verse. They would say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What was their logic? Well, everything is still continuing the same. If God was truly going to return, why are things the way they are? Where is God's judgment? See... We often hear that in our culture today. I often hear that a lot where I work or who I am around. And they said, man, that's just wishful thinking that Jesus will return. Look at our world today. It's getting worse and worse. We find people say that it's easier to believe in something else. Because we don't want to be accountable for our lives. I remember I had a conversation with uh, my cousin, and we were at we were, we were talking about Christ, and uh, and we we had a this heated dialogue between me and him, and and he was trying to give me reasons why he wasn't believing, and I and I was trying to fight, you know, trying to give him reasons why I believe, and then ultimately he just blurted it out. I don't need no one telling me what to do with my life. I don't need no one telling me what to do with my life, and I'm like, well, there it is. See, your reason for not believing is because you don't want to be accountable. Therefore, it is your desires, your own passions that drives you. You want nothing to do with the gospel. You want nothing to do with truth. Because in your mind, you have made up your, 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 what you want to follow. Because you don't want to be accountable. And so, not much has changed from the culture of Peter to our culture today. Those who mock our faith laugh and said, where is your king? But here's the good news. The good news is we can hold fast to what we have heard because of what Peter has said through the prophets and the apostles' commands. We can hold fast to that reality that Christ is who he says he is and will come And he will rescue his people. Even though the mockers come, and those who who would say that our faith is myths, they will face the reality, and they will have to give an account for their lives. I love the song that we just ended, because I originally said the good news that we can hold fast to what we've heard. But something changed in my, my thinking, and I started thinking, not only do we hold fast to Christ, but Christ holds fast to us. And as I was singing that song, I, the Spirit was speaking to me and saying, Yeah, hold fast to the truth of the, of the word. But I want you to tell the church this I hold fast with them, I hold them tightly, I do not let them go. We have a king who holds fast, who loves us, who wants us to stir one another up in the hope of the resurrection and the hope that Jesus will come soon. And we need each other, church. We need each other because when we leave this building, there is a world filled with different views that are contrary to the gospel. We live in a world that will mock us consistently. And it is easy to be discouraged. It is easy to walk into this world and say, I I, I give up. Church, stir one another in the gospel truth. Jesus will return and he will make all things new. Stir one another. Remember what the prophets have spoken. Remember the commands of the apostles. They've seen the glory of Christ. They have nothing to, to worry about. They know. Keep in mind, the church here is being persecuted. Second, first Peter and second Peter, this letter is written to the persecuted church. And Peter is saying, listen, the reality of the hope in Christ is coming. Do not forget that church. Stir one another up. And we stir. It's interesting because he says in verse 5, those scoffers will come. They overlook this. They deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. It's interesting that he uses the word deliberately. Those who would mock the faith deliberately are choosing not to repent and believe. They enjoy the desires of their flesh. They deliberately overlook what has been proclaimed. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. They have seen the glories of God and have yet ran after their own passions. Remember, the scoffers here believe since everything will stay, everything is the same since the fathers have fallen asleep. And when he talks about the fathers, he's talking about the prophets, Moses, Isaiah. Since they've fallen asleep, everything has remained the same. See, they forget Psalms 105. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. See, scoffers deliberately are choosing to not have a sincere heart or a sincere mind. They like living in the deceit of their own world, and they want to avoid the truth at all costs. But the reality, the works of God in history cannot be ignored, cannot be ignored. God's activity in this world cannot be ignored, and we see that from the foundations of the creation of the world. It is God who has ordained everything. It is God through the waters that he separates, the waters and the land that he makes everything that we see. God has always been involved in human history. God stepped into human history. He took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died resurrected so that you could have life. God is the God who steps into history. But I don't want us to miss something here that's very important. It says here that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. By the word of God. I I don't want us to miss this This little small passage, because in this small passage, we're seeing the work of the Father and the Son. The work of the Father and the Son. And I'm not ignoring the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. And we know this in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit is hovering over the face of the water, right? But in specifically this chapter, he mentions the word of God in the acts of creation. And we know that when the Father speaks the Son acts. When the Father speaks, the Son acts. The authority of Christ in creation is very clear. And Colossians chapter 1 says this, verse 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ holds everything together. Creation, he was there. He was there in creation, creating the world through the elements that he created of water. God was involved always in this story but Christ also holds the last judgment of the world the word of God has been sealed and best believe the son will act on the last judgment when the Lord returns he will judge the world accordingly he has not checked out Like some people would say, but no, no, no. Rest assured, God is Lord over all things. And He has not forgotten the day that He will return. He knows exactly when He is coming. He knows. He anticipates that day. He cannot wait to make all things new. But there is a warning. Christ will also come to judge accordingly. Verse 6. And that by the means of this, the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept into the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, the reality is that those who are mocked the faith back then completely forgot that God had judged the earth prior to His second return. People they forgot Genesis chapter five verse thirty-two. They forgot Noah's story. That God flooded the earth. And that's what Peter is saying here. He said they, they forgot, they deliberately overlooked the reality that God judged the world through water and they perished. They overlooked the reality of Genesis chapter 5 verse 32. And it is by the unbreakable word of God that he tells us that he will also judge the world accordingly, this time through fire. The heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire being kept into the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The witness of the earth and the heavens are called to the rebellious ways of humanity. And the same word, he will judge the earth again. The reality is that he will come and the world will be judged. And we've clearly seen this in Genesis 35. I mean, uh, yeah, Genesis 5 verses 32. And I'm not going to go there because we know the Noah's Ark story. It's not the one that our kids color in the coloring books. And it's full of nice rainbows and uh, giraffes and whatever animals you... Are on there. No, it's the reality that humanity died. Judgment was placed, the word of God was sealed. God promises us that he will return, and the second and the last judgment awaits for the ungodly being kept into the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. 2 Peter verses 2 through 5 says this, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and the destruction is not asleep this is what Peter is saying judgment for the ungodly. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says, Because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Will be revealed. This is now, I want to talk to you, the church. God's wrath will be revealed. And some of us ask, why wrath? Why God's judgment? Why God's judgment? Well, I think in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, I think it says very clear God's righteous judgment. We forget that God is a righteous God, God is holy in everything that he does. God must punish sin. God must judge accordingly. We're dealing here with perfection. We don't stand a chance. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is that he has come to set the prisoners free. The good news of the gospel is that God's wrath is satisfied because his son was laid on a tree. The wrath of God is satisfied on our behalf because Christ stands on our behalf. He imputates his righteousness to us. Therefore, we can stand before God blameless. Yeah, God is holy. But in Christ, the church is holy. We are beloved. Therefore, beloved, stir one another in the right doctrine. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is huge for us today. We are called to abstain from the passions of the flesh for it will distort our minds from being sincere and it will cause us to love the world and abandon our love for Christ. Does Christ hold us fast? Absolutely. But we have a responsibility to walk with our King, to fight and not give in to sin. When we follow our own desires, it will lead to death. And rather than seeking redemption, we will rationalize our desires to fit our doctrine. Very much like what the false teachers were doing in chapter two. Those who mock our faith will come. That's a reality. Be reminded, church, of the hope that we have in Christ. Judgment will come. Like in the days of Noah, I can imagine Noah building that ship and people walking around and saying, what is this guy doing? And he's building the wood and he's doing all the things that he's been called to do. The world laughing, the world partying, the world kept going on like normal. God's judgment was sealed. We live in a world very much similar. A world that consistently is doing what they want to do. This is a warning to you who do not know Christ. Jesus will judge the world. Do not deliberately overlook this reality. If you do not know Christ this morning... I want us to look at Revelations chapter chapter 20. Remember I said that Jesus, the creator of the world, also is the one who ultimately will judge the world accordingly. All authority has been given to Christ. Therefore, he will judge the world accordingly. Revelations chapter 20 verse 11 gives us a glimpse to the reality of what is to come. So I say this, if you are not a believer this morning, this is what awaits. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky flew, fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the reality of what awaits when the return of Christ is overlooked and we follow our deceitful minds. But the good news is that doesn't have to be you. The good news is that Christ has come. You, in a little bit, we're gonna take from this table communion as we celebrate and remember the death and the resurrection of Christ. This doesn't have to be your experience. You too can be saved and know the glory of God. See, beloved church, this is for you. This is what awaits us. Revelations chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. Jerusalem nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Beloved, this is our reality. This is the hope that we have. This is the day that the Lord will make all things new. When we have seasons of doubt, stir one another up, Stir one another up in our sincere minds and know that the truth is that God will return and we will enjoy this table in his real presence. Blessed are all whose name is found in the book of lambs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of your son. We thank you for the gospel and we thank you that you will return. God, even when we doubt that, even when we we live in a world that we can easily feel the persecution, Lord, uh, I pray that our hope keeps us moving forward. Lord, thankful that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you hold us fast in your hands. And when we have moments where we're tired and weary, Lord, you are with us. you carry us and you give us the nourishment that we need so i ask that you will walk with us i ask that you will just give us the joy and the hope of Revelation chapter 21 when you will give us a new world where you will dwell with your people god i pray maranatha lord come soon come soon father come soon your name we pray Amen.